Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. It's on page 976 of the few Bibles. Ephesians chapter 1. It says this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. My Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thanks for the hope of your word and the truth of your word. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just center us right now you, as we hear your word, that you would encourage us with your word, teach us through your word, and help us to grow in your word. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why go through Ephesians? Every fall, uh, we, we've been through a number of different uh, things throughout this past year, but, but I think we want to be a church that is focused on the Word of God, and one thing that we like to do is we close out this last part of the weekend for the summer. Um, sometimes it's good when fall starts to come, you like to settle in with a good book, or you like to settle in with just this, uh, you know, just something you want to spend some time with, and that's what we're going to do with Ephesians from now until uh, around Christmas. We're just going to settle in for the fall through and go through the book of Ephesians for a number of reasons. One reason why we're going to do it is because of just the majesty of the book of Ephesians. Somebody said that the book of Ephesians is the, the, the divinest composition of man. And one author said, J.A. Robinson said, the book of Ephesians is the crown of St. Paul's writing. There is this a majesty that comes with the book of Ephesians that we can spend some time getting into. Another reason why we're going to do it is because of the magnetism of the book of Ephesians. Many people have come to Christ over the years in history of the church through the book of Ephesians and hearing about it. One of the great stories about that is a young man named John Mackay 
who eventually became the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. And when he was 14 years old, he was sitting out in Scotland and hearing a preacher preach. He doesn't remember anything that the preacher said, but in that moment, he understood the gospel and he became a Christian and he knew he was called to preach. And then as a 14-year-old in the hills of Scotland, he said he was riding around in 1903 and he was reading the book of Ephesians as a 14-year-old and he said he had a boyish rapture in the highland hills of Scotland and just this unbelievable recognition of who Jesus Christ was. And he said, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really alive. And he, as a 14-year-old, put down the classic books that he was reading, and he became enamored by Jesus Christ through the book of Ephesians. There is a magnetism that comes from Ephesians. And if you're a teenager, don't despise what God's doing in your life. And don't think that God can't radically change your life by his word. But there's also a mystery of the church in Ephesians that the Bible talks about. And the book of Ephesians is a long exposition, really, and one of the greatest sentences that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The book of Ephesians talks much about the church and the formation of the church and interacting in the church. And that's the the view as we go through it this fall. John McKay later on went on to say, what we read here in Ephesians, what we read here is it's, it's truth that sings. It's doctrine set to music. So for the fall, we're going to spend as a church time in Ephesians, just settling in and seeing the majesty of it, hopefully the magnetism of it, and also looking at the mystery of the church that's revealed to us and how we interact in the church, because what's coming up in January and February is we're going to spend the first seven weeks of January and February joining together with hopefully thousands of church around the Chicagoland area with a thing called uh, Explore God Chicago. And there's an organization and Wheaton College and Moody and a lot of churches in the Chicagoland area are calling together to ask uh, thousands of churches in the Chicagoland area to take January and February of 2019 and speak all on the same topics of seven major questions that everybody has about Christianity and about God and the faith and just encourage people to say, hey, come explore God with us. And so if you've, if you've listened to Moody at all in the last few weeks, you may have heard about this. It's called Explore God Chicago. We are going to participate in it this Thursday night. I'm going up to Deerfield to be in a meeting about it. And what it is going to be is for a chance for us to say, hey, um, my church is talking about why does God allow suffering? Hey, come with me this Sunday. Uh, or maybe you have that question, why does God allow s- suffering? And we will spend the first seven weeks of January and February uh, just talking on these topics, and we're going to join with thousands of churches around the Chicagoland area and see what God will do. But I think as a church, before we go and try to focus on an outreach We need to focus on what God's called us as well to do. And that's what Ephesians is going to help us do in the fall. So here's the question. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what does God primarily 
desire of you? As a follower of Jesus Christ, what does God primarily desire of you? The answer to that is given in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, which says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ. What God primarily desires for you as a follower of Jesus Christ is for you to grow up in the faith, to become mature, to grow up in God, to mature in your faith. That's what God's doing in us. That's what God's primarily desiring for us as Christians is that we grow up in our faith, we'd mature, and that we would mature in our love. And where does God perform this primarily? He does it in and through the church. The Holy Spirit is always working and developing the community of faith. He always is. That's, that's the whole theme of Ephesians, of saying this is who you are, and this is how you are to be. In his book, Scripture and the Authority of God, N.T. Wright describes the history of creation as a five-act play, as this, as this great drama. And he describes the, the, the whole revelation of God from Scripture as Act 1 was creation, the, be, the building of God. Act 2 is the fall, how we rebelled against God. Act 3 is just how God created and called out a people for his name in the nation of Israel. Act 4 was the Gospels when Jesus came. And Act 5 of Scripture and of what God has is the church. And we are in that act. We, we are that we are the church. So why church? Because we are to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Everywhere around us, we are, the world, it, it, it's death doesn't look like that to people. They don't, they don't feel that. They don't sense that. But what the scripture says is all around us, as Eugene Peterson said, we are as a church to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Eugene Peterson went on to say, the church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. It is not that kingdom complete, but it is a witness to that kingdom. And the church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit providing human witness, and a physical presence to the kingdom of God. We're not all that. And through that, which means this, the translation of that is the church is a big deal to God. This is the church's core element of how God's calling people to himself. That's what he says. That's what the whole book of Ephesians is saying. And that's the fifth act of God is the church. So the church is a big deal to God, and it therefore should be a big deal to us as Jesus' blood-bought followers who proclaim him as Lord. But, but the truth is, you have to say, well, it doesn't look like a big deal. It doesn't really look like a big deal. A bunch of people across the, the world gathering in little local assemblies, it just doesn't seem like much. I mean, when you look around and see what the world has to offer, just this, this collection of people gathered together, this is the God's plan to, to show the world what the kingdom of God is like. It doesn't, it doesn't look like much. 
And you're right, because the church is a miracle. It's a miracle of God that we get to be a part of the church. It's an absolute miracle, because it's just a miracle from the place of its beginning. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus had his 12 disciples, he trained them, and Jesus left them. There's 120 people, it says in Acts, just totally confused and baffled by what exactly is going on, and they're praying, and they're wondering, what's happening? We gave our lives for this, and now he's gone, and they were confused. They're praying, and just this mix of people, and then the Holy Spirit came. And through that, the world, it says in Acts, began to change. It's a miracle because of the way it began. It began by God's design. And it's a miracle because of the people in it. I mean, Ephesians 1 starts out with this Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. The apostle Paul Left to himself would have been the last person who would have ever thought of anything about the church. He, he was actually trying to persecute the church. He, he went out trying to destroy the church. He didn't want to have anything to do with the church. He, he was a messed up individual who thought he was doing God a favor by trying to destroy the church, and then God called him. It, it, the church is a miracle because of how it began, and the church is a miracle because of the people that are in it. it this is Paul the persecutor of the church who God called out to be the one to spread the gospel and write much of the New Testament about the church. And he seems like an unlikely source to do it, which is why even with us, it seems like an unlikely source that we would be the ones that God called. But 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God has chosen the weak things, the foolish things, messed up, confusing people to put into the church and call them together in a local area and say, hey, I want you to gather together. I want you to get together because you're my light to a colony of death. And I want you to be a colony of heaven to people. The church is a miracle. But the picture of the church that we see is never the picture of Ephesians, which is, which is not the point. The picture of the church that we see when you read these unbelievable things about Ephesians and how God describes it, but we, we never get to see. We never get to see, really, how the church ultimately is, which is why God has given us the book of Ephesians to blow apart and strengthen and help us with our imaginations. Because what we see when it comes to the church, is feeble things. We see little groups, we see weak people, we see foolish things, we see that don't seem always to make sense to us, and we see confusion, we see some things that frustrate us. Eugene Peterson also said, church is the textured context in which we grow up in Christ to maturity. But church is difficult. 
Sooner or later, though, if we're serious about growing up in Christ, we have to deal with the church. And Eugene Peterson went on to say, I say sooner. The picture of the church that we get to see isn't always as glamorous as it seems in Scripture. But there was no perfect church. There was no successful church in the New Testament. Just read through who God was writing to, who he said were all these amazing things. And there's not one successful in the world's eyes church in the New Testament. That's not the way that God portrayed his church. And so we don't always get to see what church is supposed to ultimately be the way God sees it. But if we want to grow up, if you want to be mature in your faith, the only way you come to maturity is through and dealing with and being part of the church. That was God's design and God's plan. And this is where the letter to Ephesians comes to us, cornerstone, as a grace-given help to those who will listen. They won't rush through it. Who will lean in. Who will look and listen And we'll do it together. If you look at Ephesians 1, over and over the word is collective you, or we, or us, or we. This was written to a group of people, a collective group of people. There is no mature faith that grows on its own and says, I I can do this by myself. I don't need the church. That's nowhere in Scripture. All through this, this is not just written to you individually. This is written to you collectively as the church to us. It's the we. And so what I want us to see this morning is just Paul's, first of all, Paul's posture and approach to the church. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. When, When Paul wrote this, he, he was sitting in prison while he was writing this. And he, he was sitting in prison in Rome. All kinds of struggles, all kinds of problems. He could have done anything. He could have complained. He could have been depressed, discouraged. But instead, while he's sitting in prison, what, what he does is he redeems the time. And, and what he does is he starts thinking about the church. He starts thinking about the people that he's met over the years and all these, how God's been working and he's thinking about it. And so he writes this letter, which was a circular letter that was given to the churches, the house churches and the groups that were locally organized in Ephesus and all the little groups of churches that were scattered around there. And he's writing to all of them. This is the only letter of Paul that doesn't have a problem that he's addressing. He's just writing this to the church. He isn't trying to deal with anything, even though he does speak of some things. When he wrote Ephesians, it's like he's just in prison trying to think, what's the best way I can be used? And he starts thinking about the people of God and the church, and he writes this unbelievable letter, and he says, this, let let this be the imagination, let this grow. He, He comes with it, and it's very profound in his love, and it's very positive when you read the book of Ephesians. He's not dealing with a problem. He's not trying to correct anything. He's just thinking about people that he knows and that he's met, the church. And he writes this very positive, helpful letter to them. And this is his posture while he's in prison, suffering. Is this your posture to the church? 
Is this how you think about the church when you're just sitting down by yourself and you start thinking about the people that you know in your church and is what first pops up into your mind all the frustrations, all the difficulties, all the hard things, the things you don't like about them? Or is it that we are saints and you just think the good grace of God and the blessings of God This was Paul's posture to this church. And Paul was not naive. He spent three years in Ephesus. He was had all kinds of problems. Go back and read Acts chapter 19, all the way through 20, and his struggle in Ephesus and all the struggles with the church. He says later on that he was just, he's been exhausted by the emotional care of dealing with people in the church, all the problems. I mean, he said that later. He's not writing like some naive guy thinking the church is just this great thing. He knows the work. He knows what the struggle is. But his response, his posture to the church is, man, we are blessed in God by the grace of God. And he pours out this encouraging letter. Sam Ellerberry said, it's almost impossible to overstate the positive impact that we can have on others if we come to church looking for ways to be an encouragement. We can just never, I love what Jeff said, love the person in front of you. We, we can never overestimate the positive impact that we can have if we come to church looking for somebody to encourage. I mean, this was Paul's posture to the church. He wasn't looking to get something out of it. He was overwhelmed by the grace of God in it. And what's the God use me? How can I be used? This was his posture. But this church, and he understood that this church was also under great Pressure, there was pressure that this church was under. It was in Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Why, why would he say faithful in Christ Jesus? He said faithful because they, he knew what they were going through, that they needed to be called to be faithful. They weren't living in some easy situation. Ephesus had this culture of just many gods, many beliefs, they had all these pagan worshiping uh, magicians and all these things that were against Christianity, which is why when you read Acts and see the struggle that the people went through, there was a lot of chaos morally and sexual chaos in the city of Ephesus, and which, which went against Christianity, which is many ways the reality of our situation today, even around the Route 34 quarter. To be the church, even in our culture, we are called to be saints and to be faithful in it. And there was, there's pressure in that. There's pressures in this. I mean, the culture of our day, in our American culture, even Midwest culture, we have this desire. Things have to be instant. We, we live in an instant culture. So when Paul says in Ephesians 4, hey, if you want to grow, want to be mature, grow up in the faith, we expect that to happen in six months or three weeks. Well, I gave my heart to God. I came. I got something. I, now I don't, feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. So I, I, I'll, I'll peter out. I mean, how do you grow? How, how, how do you grow? Do, do you feel growth? No. But when your grandma who hasn't seen you in six months or your great crazy aunt that comes up for your birthday every once in a while, she sees you when you're little, you know, she hasn't seen you in a year, you're, you're so big. Did you feel any different? No, because that's how growth is a slow, slow process. 
And Paul's painting this picture, hey, the way you grow, it's this slow process. It's not instant. We live in an instant society. So much stuff that we're over the top that if anything is outside of our precision, we are outraged by it. And the Washington Post and the New York Times have written many articles about how we also live in this outrage culture. Just this outrageous, we are, we are angry people. Somebody has got to be blamed. There's, there's got to be somebody who did this wrong. And so we got to do something about it. That's our culture. So much so that it's even greater in some countries. In, in Japan, a few months ago, one of their trains left the station. If you know anything about those cultures, it is work, 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 fast, fast, fast. And a train left the station 22 seconds earlier than it should have. And it threw everybody's schedules off that they had to send out an apology that we left 22 seconds before we should have. Because our culture, that's an extreme case. We are instant, and it's outrageous, and we are mad and outraged by that. And when that's the culture that we live in, and you read Ephesians, and Paul's talking about growing, and he spends the first three chapters not telling you anything to do, but just what to be, that that, that goes against the culture. But that kind of culture leads to strategies. And those strategies can either pull us to God or pull us away from God. And Ephesians 3 gives us, though, a profound blessing of God. Verses 3 through 14, he says, after he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the saints, grace and peace to you. Then he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And verse 3 through 14 is 201 words in the original Greek, and it's all one sentence. It's just one giant sentence. And Paul is in one big giant sentence saying, hey, this is the profound blessing that you have in being part of the church. Peter Drucker, who is a guru of management, said a number of years ago, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, and we hear this all the time. Uber has spent a ton of money recently on all these commercials, and what they say in their commercials, hey, we messed up as a company, we messed up, and now we got a new CEO, and what he says in those commercials is, I'm here to change the culture of Uber so that we can be successful in our strategies. I listened to two football coaches after their games yesterday on the internet say, hey, they won, and why did they win? He goes, because we've developed a culture that allows us to, to win. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And because in our society there's this instant, there's this outrage, and there's this outrageous, some churches say that's the strategy we got to follow. we got to follow the culture's strategy. And so we have churches that say, hey, in 30 days you can be spiritually strong. That's not what the Bible says at all in Ephesians. Or we got to be outrageous, so show up for Easter and we'll bring your friends and we're going to hand out a free car. Churches do this all the time. It's outrageous. And people are smarter than that, and the church acts like we're like they're idiots, because what it takes to get them, it takes to keep them. And we've used all these culture, all these strategies. Or and then they were just outraged about things because of the culture eats strategy 
for breakfast. And Satan has a strategy. But God has given us a culture, and he invited us to it. And Paul starts in Ephesians, and he says, hey, you want to you be strong in your faith? You want to grow up? Here's what you need. You need to grow up in your faith, and I'm going to give you a culture to do that in. I'm going to take my time telling you about it. I'm going to give a sentence with 201 words just describing who you are in Christ. And I'm painting this big culture for you. So dig into this big, bold statement of who you are in Christ. And understand, this is the basis. This is the basis of our understanding of the church. This is the basis of our understanding of who we are. This is the basis of our understanding how to grow up in Christ to be mature. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he just goes on to this long statement of this is who the church is. This is who you are. This is the culture that you've been put into. So before you get your strategies, you got to know who you are and understand the culture of the gospel and grow in it. And it's only, and it's an amazing culture. The gospel is an amazing thing. That God would call people. And only God could do this. Only God could take people with high intellect and put them with people with not so high intellect. People with great life experiences. and People with not so many great life experiences. People with different ethnicities and put them together. People of different ages and put them together. People with different family backgrounds, put them together and say, hey, I'm going to call you out from your area. I'm going to bless you in Jesus Christ. And I'm, I want to put all of you together as family. Only God can do that. And if you do it, and if you develop and understand who you are in Christ and this big culture that you have, the world's changed by that. Jesus is seen by that, and it will be due the praise of God's glory. Only God can do that. Only God can create a culture of grace that connects those kinds of people. So we don't only see it. Let's just listen. I mean, there's, there's a great difference between people from uh, there's Britain, from France, from Norway, Hawaii. <laughs> there's different cultures, even in our church. Different personalities, different intellects. And God says, you know, church is not about you coming together to be around people that are just like you. Church is the Holy Spirit calling you to people to be absolutely different from you. But you're in this culture of unbelievable blessing and grace. And it's for the praise of God's glory. And when you slow down and hear it and let your imagination grow, because you're not going to always see it. You'll never fully see it. That's not the point of Ephesians. The point of Ephesians is to call us to want to be it. So we would be to the praise of God's glory. So this is what I'm going to ask for you. As we go through this year, just pray. As we go through this fall, pray. Say, God, let us become mature and grow in our faith as a church. And then put the letter of Ephesians into your heart and mind. Listen to it over and over again. Listen to it. You, you can get on the iPad. You can get on your phone. You, you can have somebody read it to you. Listen every day to Ephesians chapter 1. Let somebody, to this whole series, let somebody read it to you. It takes about 26 minutes. I did it three times yesterday. Let somebody, let, let it get into your heart and mind. Pray that God would 
grow us as a church through this in this fall and mature us. And then put the letter of Ephesians into your heart and mind as we go through it each week. And then let your presence be seen by your attendance at the gatherings, but by connecting with people throughout the week. Text them, pray for them, share with them. That's the church. And let your imagination be blown away that we are blessed by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And it's all because nothing we did, but it's all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And it's in Christ alone that we can gather and we can enjoy the blessings of God. Let's pray.